This is Car Expert. Any story where we see Australia getting more allocation of something electric is very good news for EV buyers and for Kia. I think the main problem with the C63 is that it's called the C63. If it was called anything else, people would look at it with a fresh lens. This car has more feel than a standard Porsche 911. G'day, Mike Costello. Hello, Mandy. And hello, William Stopford. Hey, Mandy. You guys had a massive Christmas party for uh, Car Expert last week. Saw photos all over social media. You guys were on a boat. Yes, we were. We're on a giant uh, yacht on beautiful Sydney Harbour. We've got staff across the eastern seaboard these days, and so it's very rare for us all to be in the same room. So it was a perfect opportunity for that to get together to talk about all that we've achieved and all that we're going to do in 2023. And rest assured, dear listener, there is a lot on the agenda for 2023. It's quite amazing, and I'm sure Will would agree with this, that um, we've both been here since day one. We were among the, the first staff here, and there was just a handful of mates essentially sitting in home offices during a pandemic trying to get this business um, up and running. And, you know, now there's more than 30 staff. There's there's much more headcount to come in 2023. And the business is just going from strength to strength on the back of our wonderful audience and, and some of the wonderful things that, um, that we're doing here. And it was just so exciting to get in a room with everybody and just learn about what everybody does here and to meet some new faces. And there were people that I didn't know at all that had been working here for some time that I'd barely had a chance to talk to. So that was incredible. Um, probably a few too many beverages, I would say, but you know, I'm, I'm feeling better today. The, the hangovers last a bit longer these days than they used to, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> That's what you get for being in your mid-30s, Moko. Mm-hmm. I feel your pain. Indeed. <laughs> Do you have a good time, Will? I had a I had a fantastic time. I actually had a really late night that night, so I, I was feeling a little bit... <laughs> um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, no, um, I've, I've had a bit of a, a crazy few weeks because right off the, uh, off the uh, mega test that we were doing, I flew off to uh, an event in Europe, came back for the Christmas party and our kind of editorial kind of team day, whatnot. Uh, and in amongst that, there was also a, a Volkswagen event, uh, which you'll see some news on the site uh, later this week or possibly by now if, if you're listening. Um, so, but it was really nice wow. just to be able to kick back and have possibly, no, not possibly, definitely the best Christmas party I've ever been to for any company I've worked for. Incredible. Fantastic. What were you doing overseas? Ah, yes, I was overseas driving Audis. So I've had one review go live um, for the Q4 e-tron that I drove in Germany. But I also got to go to the beautiful Canary Islands to drive the Q8 e-tron. So I'll come back on the podcast next week to talk about that. Well, it's been a couple of weeks since we've spoken to Jack Quick. Welcome back, Jack. Thanks, Mandy. How are you? I'm fabulous. I'm sure you're all nice and refreshed after your holiday on uh, a cruise ship in New Caledonia. How was it? Yeah, it was awesome. I'm nice and sunburnt now, although in a couple of days' time, I'll be as white as white. <laughs> Just like, because if you haven't seen me, I have red hair and very, very pale skin. So I go sunburnt and then I go white again. But, um, cruise was awesome. Thanks, Mandy. I, um, I was just, uh, I saw so many cool cars. So I was in, uh, Vanuatu and, uh, New Caledonia. You know, Vanuatu, there were so many uh, dual cab utes that were just getting thrashed around. It was so cool to see. Um, so many like also new new ranges, which was super cool to see. And then um, in uh, New Caledonia, there were so many French cars, so like Peugeots, Citroëns, Renaults, and then um, like a million uh, Dutch dusters just everywhere in New Caledonia. I was uh, specifically in uh, New Mayor in the city, so I didn't venture outside of the city, so I can't say exactly what it's like outside of the city. But um, in, in New Mayor, there were lots of French cars. It felt like a, a mini version of France, although I've never been. So uh, <laughs> in my head, that's what I picture. <laughs> were they generally older French cars or, or more modern ones? Well, it's funny because it was a, a general mix. There were a lot of like newer Citroen models that I had never really taken much notice of because I don't really sell them in Australia, like the, the C2 and the also like the C3. And yeah, it was a, a lot more, a lot newer French cars that I hadn't really taken much notice of before like hadn't considered 
Yeah, sounds like they have very interesting taste in cars. <laughs> yes, always one of the so, fun things for us car guys about traveling is just you can pop us down on a street anywhere in the world and we're going to find something interesting, even if it's just, you know, plebeian Citroen C1s driving around, that's still going to be interesting <laughs> to us. So it's like your Instagram page, Will, which I absolutely love, um, where you just post some really random cars with a bit of history on them. Um, just give your page a bit of a plug because it's one of my favourite pages. <laughs> I was going to say, it is. you're plugging it for me. Um, it's <laughs> williamstopford.cars, so please yeah, follow. Worth a look. <laughs> worth a look. All right, so let's get into some news for this week, Jack. The uh, JAC T9, we've got another Chinese ute coming here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A new ute coming to Australia, as you said, Mandy, the JAC T9. Uh, two different variants coming to Australia, which is super cool. First one that is coming is a turbo diesel variant, very, very common because it's a dual cab ute. Uh, that is coming in June of 2023. So next year, not too long. I got a really cool email saying that this is confirmed. Super exciting, but that's not the good news because it's going to be followed by an EV version which is due in the second quarter of 2024. I'm super excited for that one in particular just to see how it compares to um, the LDV ET60 in particular. Um, I'll jump back though to that turbo diesel version that we're going to be getting first. It's um, going to be using a two-litre four-cylinder turbo diesel engine uh, producing 125 kilowatts of power and 410 uh, newton metres of torque. That model uh, in particular is going to compete with uh, other budget uh, dual cab utes, including uh, the GWM ute and also the LDV T60, the non-electric version. Um, so this uh, JAC T9 will be distributed uh, by a company called BLK Auto um, in Australia and New Zealand, and I had never heard of them before that uh, before this story that I uh, that I wrote. Um, but from my understanding, they also they uh, produce a lot. Uh, Distribute, I should say, distribute a lot of like commercial vehicles um, around in Australia. They're also moving their headquarters to New Zealand very soon. And um, so the uh, BLK Auto Managing Director Jason Picotic said um, the JAC T9 will be extremely attractive to the likes of the Hilux and the Rangers. They're trying to pull some of those sales because they uh, they know in Australia it's such a huge segment, the the top two more or less selling vehicles in Australia um, at a more affordable price point. Which, from my understanding, nothing has been set yet. It'll it be in between like the forty to fifty thousand dollar asking price for that turbo diesel turbo diesel version in particular. Um, we don't know a lot about the EV version just yet. I have to wait and uh, wait and see in particular. But I do imagine, as I said before, it's going to compete, uh, go more or less go head to head with the LDV ET60, um, which is priced from like $100,000, something crazy. Um, but I want to know, guys, what do you think of the, the JAC T9? Because I know that it kind of looks cool. And um, what are your thoughts? Well, it's interesting. Um there's been this absolute cavalcade of, of, of Chinese utes that have come and gone over the years. Obviously, the LDV T60 and the Great Wall or the GWM Cannon are doing great sales these days. Um, in some months, they're actually you know, ahead of vehicles like Nissan Navara. But we've also seen the JMC uh, Vegas, I think it was called, and the ZX Grand Tiger both come and go. We've seen the Indian Tata Xenon come and go. So... Over the years, there's been as many failures as there's been successes. But I think what we are learning is that with the, the massive improvement in the Chinese products and the absolute, you know, huge price increases we're seeing from the establishment, the ranges and highlights of the world, that there's definitely scope for this. I think the distributor having experience in the bus, coach and truck market probably sets it in pretty good stead. So um, I'm really, really curious about this product, but I actually think it does have a better chance now than it would have had five or ten years ago. And on the EV stuff, I think as the market moves towards electrified commercial vehicles, we're going to start to see China offering the majority of the solutions. And that is really going to be a problem for the legacy brands because perceptions change fast. And if China carves out a dominant sort of standing in the electric commercial space, the establishment can't wait too long because people will just abandon them. So they've got a really good chance if they jump in right now and they jump in hard and that looks like what they're doing. 
Well, this was a really interesting story, Jack, because I had completely forgotten JSC existed. The Chinese automotive market is absolutely teeming with companies and, and JSE isn't one of the big four there. Uh, but they do have, you know, a close connection with Volkswagen. They have a joint venture there. They've had tie-ups with Neo. So they're not some random, you know, back alley operation. Uh, but yes, it's a bit of a surprise to see another Chinese brand here. And I'm, I'm just wondering if this is going to be kind of a, a repeat of around a decade ago where as you mentioned, Mike, a bunch of Chinese brands came and not a lot of them stayed. <laughs> Indeed. All right, we're going to move on to Mazda. Jack, I can't believe the Mazda 6 is turning 20 next year. Yeah, it's jumped up super quickly. I want to mention as yeah. well, um, the, the current generation uh, Mazda 6 is almost 10 years old now. So it's been around for ages, wow. almost half of that life cycle in Australia. So um, It's aged well. Yeah, I think it looks quite stylish still and mm. super, super, super suave. And um, also, the Mazda 6 is one of, the, one of a few mid-sized sedans and wagons still on sale in Australia going up, up against about a number of Skodas. Nothing else notable really comes to mind. Oh, the Peugeot 508 before you kind of get more obscure in my mind. So Master 6, one of the few. But, yeah, there's um, a new uh, special edition model celebrating the 20th anniversary of the Mazda 6 in Australia, um, aptly named the 20th uh, anniversary edition. Creative. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> it's a, uh, this model in particular is uh, based on the top-spec Attenza model, and it has uh, a few different features that differentiate it, including 19-inch um, high-gloss silver alloy wheels and um, also uh, – James will like this, um, tan suede and Nappa leather interior. <laughs> he does so, not have a monopoly yeah. on tan leather interiors. I actually drive a car with a tan leather interior. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you'd like it. I'd mention that, Will. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, um, the, the 20th anniversary uh, edition is powered by a more a more powerful version now of the 2.5-litre uh, turbo four-cylinder engine. Um, it now produces 173 kilowatts of power, which is three kilowatts more than a pre-update, and an unchanged uh, 420 uh, newton metres of torque. So, a little bit more power. And uh, the six-speed auto has been tweaked too to feel more responsive and fun stuff like that. Um, in regard to wider changes for the Mazda 6 range, it uh, also gets an updated power steering system. In particular, again, um, more trim level based, uh, GTSP and Atenza uh, get the cruising and traffic semi-autonomous assistance system, uh, while touring grades and above uh, get wireless Apple CarPlay. While it's uh, although it still has wire, it gets wireless CarPlay. It's still on the the older infotainment system. So it, although it gets the, the wireless CarPlay, it doesn't necessarily look flash. It's not the latest and greatest that Mazda has to offer, unfortunately. And um, also the Atenza, which is the top of the range model before you get to this uh, 20th anniversary special edition, uh, now comes standard with black Nappa leather. Uh, so full pricing uh, for this updated range of Mazda 6, uh, including the special edition model, uh, will, be, will be announced earlier next year. Um, but what do you think of this uh, special edition, guys? Does it look pretty cool or am I crazy? Yeah, I mean, it looks cool, but what I really want to know is what the hell's happening with the Mazda 6 longer term. So, I mean, the current one's getting as old as the hills now. It's one of the oldest vehicles you can still buy um, outside of the sort of commercial market. And while it has aged exceptionally well and while Mazda commendably has kept it fresh, it, it is getting a little, little dated. And it's interesting to me that Mazda's got this new rear-wheel drive architecture that it's rolling out on vehicles like CX-60. Um, I think if they were going to introduce a premium sedan and wagon range, they probably would have talked about it a bit more than they have been. So I do wonder whether that vehicle has a future. But if it does have a future, it'll be on a rear-drive platform with inline-six engines like Mazda's new premium fare. So... Yeah, so I um I have a little bit on that as well. I when I was in uh, when I was on Fraser Island those few months ago. Now I was uh, chatting with Alistair Doak about this rear-wheel drive Mazda Six, and he more or less told me that exactly what you said, Mike. If it was coming, it would have already happened, or we would have heard something. So 
Um, in my eyes, at least anyway, I, I don't think it's going to be happening, unfortunately, with the inline six. Mm. All we get is a little bit, little bit more power from the four-cylinder turbo for now. Um, yeah, so Alistair Doak being the marketing director of Mazda Australia. So it's good that he had so much candor about it. There's definitely a market for it, but as we all know, the market for those sorts of vehicles is dwindling and Mazda's focus really has shifted to SUVs. So I suppose if you have to keep an older vehicle fresh, you could do it in worse ways than this one, right? <laughs> it, it is really disappointing because I think we had heard um, so many of those reports coming out of Japan that that a rear-wheel drive Master 6 successor was coming, was coming, and then radio silence. So I don't know if it was – it might have potentially been in development and Master just shifted focus to SUVs because that's the logical thing to do. I mean, the Master 6 has actually been discontinued in the US and they tend to buy a lot more midsize sedans than we do. So – it's nice to see that it's kind of hanging on here for a little bit longer, perhaps because we're such a strong market for Mazda. It is technically the second best-selling vehicle in its segment, but it's a big gap between it and the Camry, um, although a decent gap between it and, and pretty much everything else. Um, so, look, it still looks great after all of these years. Mazda's kept it relatively fresh infotainment aside, although wireless Apple CarPlay is nice. Uh, but I, I wouldn't expect to see the Mazda 6 around for too much longer. Hmm. Well, it's been a bit of a surprise. We've had a, a car that's uh, made a comeback now. The Honda Integra Type S is back, Jack. Yeah, that's right, Mandy. So um, Acura, which is kind of like the luxury version of Honda in the US, has confirmed it's developing a reborn Integra Type S for the North American market only, <laughs> unfortunately, um, in 2024. Um, if You might have heard of the, the Type S nameplate uh, used in Australia. Um, it was last seen in, um, in 2006 on an Integra as well. So it's been a little while and it's a little sad that it's not coming to Australia. Um, so, yeah, Ac uh, Acura showed off um, some official spy photos, which I always love. They always try to be super sneaky with their, <laughs> their camouflage photos. Uh, but it's all set up and... They they know what they're doing. But um, they, they launched the, the uh, Reborn Integra earlier in the year. I remember writing the story and um, in my mind, anyway, it's just kind of more of a, a plumped up Civic mm. <laughs> and um, with the, this Type S model in particular kind of borrows some of the, the Civic Type R hallmark features, including that uh, really cool exhaust at the back. Um, details at the moment uh, of this uh, Integra Type R, uh, Type S, should say, are scarce, but we do know it's going to have a two-liter VTEC turbo engine with over 300 horsepower. Um, it's expected that this engine will be a version of the the engine uh, used in the Civic Type R. Um, Integra Type S is going to be mated to a six-speed manual uh, with drive sent through the front wheels only, which is to be expected. And um, there's also going to be a, lip, a limited slip differential. Um, but, yeah, as I mentioned before, uh, don't, uh, don't be upset uh, because uh, this isn't coming because we do have a car, uh, something in a similar vein coming, which is obviously the Civic Type R, uh, which is coming to Australia from February next year priced at an eye-watering, in my eyes at least anyway, 72600 drive away. Um, but what do you think, guys? What do you think of this Integra Type S? Well, look, I will say this Acura Integra is certainly a lot more interesting than the Honda Integra that's being sold in China that is just a rebatch Civic. Um, but this is yet another example of a vehicle that's been developed with the North American market in mind. Honda is a big freaking deal there. Um, and... The Acura brand is is not one of the best-selling luxury brands. It's kind of a little bit further back with the likes of like Volvo and, and Lincoln and Cadillac and that. Um, but the car that this is replacing, the ILX, was based on a Civic that was about two or so generations old and it just had been facelifted a few times, but it, it wasn't really doing great numbers. So I think they they thought, well, let's let's bring back the the um, some of the Integra Stardust. Uh, now just a quick flashback to the 1990s, um, but Acura launched um, in, in the 1980s in the US um, with the Integra and the Legend. And the Legend, you know, and the Integra, they were such well-known names. And then for the third generation Legend, uh, Acura decided to get rid of the Legend name because they thought people uh, recognized that name more than the brand name. So, they renamed it renamed it to RL. The Integra eventually became RSX. So, it's interesting to see the Integra name come back. 
I don't know, maybe they'll bring back some other um, old names. Uh, and look, it is it is based on the Civic, but it does have a distinctive look. Um, we'll just have to see if, if, it's, if it's a hit there. But look, I wouldn't expect to see it anywhere else because like the MDX, RDX, you know, the Honda Pilot, the Honda Ridgeline, like, you know, they've been developed with the US market for the front of mind. I do love it when nuffies in marketing and sales agencies just decide to change badges, you know, like they change pants and they throw <laughs> away decades of, you know, legacy and equity that have been thrown into familiar nameplates, Pulsar into TDAR, as Nissan did in the early 2000s being another example. And then they realise the error of their ways and have to go back to nameplates that had been dormant if only they just kept them going. Um, and this is an example of that. But look, the Integra and the Civic Type R are far too close to be sold simultaneously. If the Integra was a two-door coupe, I'd be saying different things. But as it stands, I think we're pretty right with what we've got. Well, I think Tony Crawford will have a lot to say about the uh, new Civic Type R. We'll speak to him a little bit later on in the podcast. But our last story now, the Kia EV6, we're going to get some supply boosted to Australia, Jack, finally. Yeah, exactly right, Mandy, finally. <laughs> yes, yeah, so Kia Australia says it's going to be getting more uh, supply of the EV6 uh, next year. Uh, the Chief Operating Officer, uh, Damien Meredith, expects uh, 2,500 EV6s uh, to come from Korea next year. This is uh, more than double what was forecast uh, for 2023 in October. Uh, this is just a few months ago um, when, it would se- when it said it would be able to secure 100 units per month or 1,200 annually. So a lot more than uh, what was said just a few months ago. So seeing hmm. more and more all the time. Um, Kia doesn't think this added supply uh, will unfortunately meet the demand of the EV6 because so many people just want one. Um, I expect to be seeing more on the roads than I do already, but um, there's going to be long wait lists. Um, Kia currently says that it has hundreds of backlog orders, which I thought maybe would have been thousands, uh, but definitely they they mentioned hundreds in particular. Um but the, the Kia EV6 range uh, currently consists of the Air and the GT Line variants, which are just like the everyday kind of versions. But there is, as we've talked about on the podcast before, uh, a high-performance EV6 GT Halo model um, coming, which is arriving in January next year um, to kind of shake things up and kind of pitch uh, this high-performance model for, for Kia. Um, so there was also some interesting news on that front as well. There's uh, leaked third-party data uh, showing that the EV6 GT will be priced from $99,950 uh, before on-road costs. So almost uh, it'll be over $100,000 obviously um, once uh, bef- like drive away. Um, but I want to know, guys, do you think uh, the Kia will ever be able to meet the demand uh, for its EVs, in particular the EV6? I mean, 2,500 is a, is a heck of a, of a jump. Um, they, you know, more than doubling or, or tripling this year's supply and more than doubling the projected MY23 supply, um, which I think speaks well for Kia. I mean, Kia is going to beat Hyundai this year in Australia. It's probably going to finish number three overall. It's going to set its all-time record for sales, an all-time record for product mix. By that, I mean it's not selling cheap and cheerful cars anymore. It's selling high-margin, high-variance GT lines and things like that. So I think this is a reward from Kia HQ in Korea to Kia Australia saying you've done really well. The reward is you actually get some stock. Um, I think as the EV market in general matures and there's more options out there, there'll be less demand for specific models. So I reckon moving forward, there's a very good chance that Kia will get close to matching demand, maybe not next year, but potentially in 2024. And uh, any story where we see Australia getting more allocation of something electric is a scarce one and one that's worth uh, celebrating, to be honest. Uh, it's, It's very good news for EV buyers and for Kia. Absolutely. Well, you can read more news at carexpert.com.au. Thank you, Jack Quick. Thanks, Mandy. Hello, Tony Crawford. G'day, Mandy. I bet you had a grin from uh, ear to ear when you were driving the uh, 2023 Honda Civic Type R. What did you think of it? Oh, yeah. I've got to tell you before that, like I was so excited to get this invite um, and it was a a 24 hours on the ground trip, by the way, so it was mental. Way more time in the air than on the ground, but where did you that's go how it often is with these gigs these days. <clears throat> and uh, funnily enough, they only took two people. 
uh, myself and another free, uh, freelancer uh, journo. So it was that seems to be the the thing these days. There's less people because the airfares are so expensive. Hmm. Um, but anyway, Type R. And um, I, d- I didn't have a lot of history with this car, and I, I don't really have a lot of history with rice burners in general, but um, I did end up getting a fantastic drive of the last edition, the fifth-generation car with that giant wing and all that, and I had one of the best drives of my life down in the Victorian high country, and we had a Megane RS and we had a Focus RS, the last-generation Focus RS, and... That Type R, one hundred percent, delivers delivered more driver, a more immersed driver experience than any of those two other cars. And by the way, those other cars were two of my favourites, particularly the RS because it had more grunt than everything else. But the gear shift, the steering in particular of the Type R, blew me away. So that was four years ago or five years ago. So I hadn't even had any uh, connection with Type R. So, yeah, when I got over this and saw what they'd done to it in the picks and the fact that they had um, taken off that double wing, which you couldn't see out of for a start, and looked absolutely ridiculous for a guy my age. Um, and, you know, I, I actually rang Honda to buy one of those cars after that drive to get the wing removed, and they said it couldn't be done at the time. Um, which is why I didn't go ahead with the purchase, but I enjoyed it that much. So so what's different about this one? Well, the looks, right? That wing is way more subtle, even though it's just as big, and it actually has way more downforce than the old one. Um, but uh, the, the, what I noticed about this car, and we had a, a chat with the, um, the, the, the head of um, uh, dynamics and, and everything type R. This guy was across it all. And he went through what they'd done. Like every single mechanical control system in this car has been refined down to the wire. Um, and, and it shows up in everything. The steering, Mandy, is mental. The brakes are mental. Two-piece rotors. And to give you an idea of the level of, of drilling they did on this car, those brakes gone from a one-piece to a two-piece. They tested it at Suzuka where it achieved a lap time record. They did five laps, came in. There was a, a minus 60-degree drop in brake temperature. Um, so so we did multiple laps in this car, multiple sessions, and there is no fade. What's more, you can leave the braking point to the last possible uh, braking marker that's what we were finding. Every time we came in hot, we, we could go in hotter. And and you just turn in, and it's a front-wheel drive vehicle, um, Type R, and, and yet it has so much grip. Um, it has Pilot Sport 4Ss. They help a lot um, on this car. But the shift, the shift itself is a piece of artwork. It's a, it's a milled billet. Um, it is absolutely extraordinarily beautiful to touch. But – the close ratio-ness of this, of this gearbox is blows you away. So you, you're shifting. And the shift points um, are amazing. And what they've done is they've increased the speed of the throttle blip. So you, you of course, don't um, – you wouldn't drive this car heel and toe because it does it so much better than what you can do. And it, it is fail-safe and perfect every shift. Um, so you just come down from fifth down the straight at Estoril where we were testing this car down to third or even second, bang, bang, bang. And, and it's just wonderful experience. And um, I was with a German driver who was showing us the the, the – uh, Thomas Newman, he races shifter carts, I think, in, in Germany. Very quick driver. And um, he said he'd ordered one the day after he first drove it when he got to the track. That's that's what this car does to you. It makes you want to order this car because it is the finest, uh, I'll say affordable, even though it's gone up, we'll talk about that in a minute, but the finest affordable sports car you will ever drive um, at the moment. And as I said in my review, and I say this with absolute um, clarity, this car has more feel than a standard 911, Porsche 911. That's what I say about this car, the shift and the steering in particular. Then then we'll add the brakes. Um, 
the engine. This is not a massively quick car. There's no Porsche in terms of not to 100, not to 105.4 seconds. But it's got enough grunt where you can drive it on the limit for your whole time on the track. Now, that's what you want in a car, right? You don't care about lap times. You just want to have feel and involvement. And and that's what this car delivers in spades. And for guys like me that are a bit older, um, this is the car that I would I, I would definitely – I'm going to try and get one of these cars because this is a great daily. Now, let's talk about comfort because we also drove this on the road and I was with this other journo and we were driving on cobblestone streets, very old streets in Portugal, and this car delivers beautiful um, uh, standard Civic-like suspension compliance. And that's the other big thing about this car. It's not so hardcore that you can't drive it as a daily. In fact, it's really, really comfortable as a daily with beautiful um, uh, seats, um, beautiful steering wheel. Everything is perfect ergonomics. Um, I, I just can't say enough about this car. But it is 72 grand drive away where you can buy an i30N uh, sedan for about 50, 54, probably 56 if you buy the the sorry the hatch the new driven N which is the limited edition hatch which I love um, that's about fifty six grand uh, plus on road so it's twenty grand dearer than what you can buy from other hot hatch manufacturers mm. um, but I would argue that this is a vastly a, a better engineered car than its rivals um, that they, they are putting very expensive development of shift and steering feel and steering ratios and braking with two-piece rotors and all that. You know, they've gone to the next level, um, and I don't believe you can buy a better sports car that for under 100 grand uh, or, or under 80 grand even because it's 72 drive away. So Honda always had the best shift action. You know, oh, even yeah. things like I remember years ago I had just a base Jazz press car. You remember when Honda actually sold the Jazz here, unlike today? But even that with a manual gearbox had a sensational clutch yeah. take-up point, yeah. mechanical shift feel, and the Civic Type R has always embodied that for me, and I think you're spot on, Croft. This is all the great stuff about the previous versions of the Civic Type R, the screaming turbo engine, the brilliant shift, the incredible balance. But yeah. it seems like it's a bit more grown up, a bit more sophisticated, a bit more comfortable, and doesn't look absolutely absolutely stupid like the old one did it kind of feels like it's just the perfect solution it's it's really everything that that vehicle really should be it just sounds like they've smashed it out of the park they, they have mate they, they've hit it they've hit 10 home runs with this with this car and <laughs> and i reckon um it's not limited um but i reckon if you want one of these cars and you want the best sports car money can buy right now for under 80 grand you better get your name down because i i reckon I'm not going to say this because I don't know that, but I, I, I would be – if you leave it too late, you're probably going to wait a long time mm. for this car. It is so good. And and don't take my word for it. Go down, get a test drive, see what I'm talking about. Um, the technology is good too. It's got a fantastic uh, driver's display that has shift lights. Um, you can change into sport mode or I think it's R plus, mo- R plus or plus R mode which is what we drove on track but you it defaults to sport mode that's how that's how amazing this car is it defaults to sport mode and as someone pointed out in my review which i think i left out um it actually remembers what you were in before and if you're in sport uh, or r plus it will actually stay in that mode so you don't have to keep pressing buttons to get back to the desired mode you want but um yeah mate i tell you what croft this is this is the plan for next year right I spent time in the States a few months ago driving the new Toyota GR Corolla, the three-cylinder all-wheel drive rally homologation special. You've just been driving the Civic Type R. They're both going to be about $70,000. I'll grab the Toyota, you grab the Honda. Let's meet halfway, find a racetrack around the Albury region, and, and let's actually settle this thing once and for all, huh? Well, we should. Is that Winton? Would that be Winton? That'd be, that'd be Winton, mate. I reckon <laughs> that's probably a good track for this. because yeah, it's a nice, tight, tight technical track. Okay, yeah. 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 I'll show you how to drive, mate. It's all good. I'll teach you some lessons. <laughs> let's do that, mate. Um, I'm serious. Like, like this is. I mean, you know, we've just written a story, and the i30N hatch uh, will most likely not continue into the next generation, uh, although the sedan will. Um, but 
We've got i30N hot hatch. We've got i30N driven uh, drive in a limited edition, which I, if you, if you haven't seen one of these, check it out because it's freaking amazing car. I really love it. Um, we've got Golf GDI. We've got Golf R. We've got, uh, we've lost Magan. That's gone, although looks like to be coming back in a, um, in a, um, uh, we've got Renault 5, that's right, coming in from Renault, uh, which could be the Alpine edition or will be an Alpine edition. So uh, it's an absolute hot hatch fest right now, or a fest of affordable sports cars and, and performance cars. I mean, we, we've got so much on tap here in Australia. We're very lucky because we don't have Euro 7 regulations looming uh, as, as Europe does. And now you've got this thing here that's a cut above. And, you know, we talk about a cut above. So, yeah, it, it is going to be um, bought by, I, I'd say, older people as well who are going to think this is this is their luxury sports car. So, you know, a 911, a base 911 will cost you about 260 grand on the road these days. This is 72 on the road. And it's got engineering that is so high, the levels are so high that they they mirror some of the – like the shift in this car is actually better than a Porsche 911 Speeds to 991. This is closer. This is smoother. The blips are better. They're faster because um, they increase the blipping speed on this car. I mean, everywhere you look, they have shaved stuff off this car. They've kept the weight down. Um but the red seats, um, someone said to me, oh, it's a bit much, these red seats and the red carpets. No, Bullshit. Never. Bullshit. If you don't love these red seats, don't buy this car. We don't want you owning this car. Go and buy something else. But if you don't, if you don't go all in on the red seats, and I am all in on these red oh, yeah. seats. Sorry, did you, yeah. didn't you just say before that you didn't buy the last Type R because you didn't like the rear wing? The wing, the wing, not the red seats. I love the red seats. The red well, if, seats if, are what? If the, the rear wing's not for you, don't buy the old Civic Type R, Tony. <laughs> no, but the red seats make this car. That's what Type R has been for several generations. So, um, um, yeah. So, so Croft, you, you, you've, you've spoken about how much you love the car. Is there anything that you didn't love about it? Nothing. Nothing because wow, we okay. drove it on the cobblestones. It was comfortable. Um, and then I drove it on the road. We didn't have a, 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 a big road drive really, um, but it's so much fun on the road too. It finds gaps. And where you think, you know, it's not it's not a rocket ship, it's 5.4 seconds or to 100, but my God, on the road you can really use this car and find the gap between traffic. I actually wanted to drive it on the road a lot longer than we actually got but as I said, it was a condensed program, um, and I can't wait to get it. You guys in Victoria, up in your fantastic roads that are relatively close to Melbourne, Queensland have got Mount Nemo and all these great roads where you're close to the city. We've got nothing in Sydney, so we can't drive the car anywhere really um, and in a spirited fashion like you guys can up there and down there. Um, you're going to have so much fun in this car, and I can't wait to get your feedback after you've driven the car and tell me if I'm wrong, you know, like, please, like, but, uh, yeah, let's have another discussion about Type R when you've all driven it. <laughs> all right. Well, I think uh, we've pretty much covered everything there, Croft. Yeah. You've given it a car expert rating of 8.9, which is probably higher than average, you would say, yeah? Well, I reckon I really wanted to go nine on this, but um, mm. it is expensive and it's probably more expensive than people thought it was going to be. Certainly for me it is. But, you know, it's 66 grand. It's this or a Golf R. I would choose this over a Golf R because it has way more uh, uh, cachet for me. And it's a special car, and I don't think Golf R is all that special these days. You know. Mm. All right. Well, Cross Review is live at carexpert.com.au now. Thank you, Tony Crawford. Thank you, guys. Uh, enjoyed it immensely. And I, as I said, I can't wait to get back in it on the road. But, you know, where am I going to drive it in Sydney? We get booked over for doing 5Ks over or something. So it's a bit unspecial, if you like. <laughs> And we will stick to performance cars with our next review as we welcome Alborz Fella. Hello, Alborz. Hi, Mandy. How are you going? Very good, thank you. Uh, just a few weeks back, you were overseas road testing the 2023 Mercedes AMG C63. Um, 
I'm, I'm keen to find out what you think first of all about the looks. Given um, you know, the C63 has always had a really mean stance to it and Mercedes are going for this rounded edge look at the moment with a lot of their designs, do you still think it looks quite tough? Oh, look, I think from the front it looks awesome. It's got really wide sort of front uh, wheel arches. Um, it actually has a bonnet scoop, kind of like an inverse scoop in the bonnet as well to, for better airflow. It, it looks really mean from the front. The rear, I feel like it's a little bit mundane. It could certainly be a lot more aggressive, but usually the case with C63s has been that the sedan's rear looks relatively mundane and then the coupe looks super aggressive. Um, in this generation, they're not going to have a C63 coupe. It's going to be called a CLE 63 coupe. Um, I'm not sure when that comes out, but I suspect it's sometime next year. Um, but, yeah, I think it looks pretty uh, – I think I like it. I like the look of it. It's a good-looking car. Sweet. Um, do we have pricing for it yet? No, we don't have pricing for it, but I know that it'll start with a two. Um, so it's not going to be cheap. It'll be at least um, somewhere in the 200s, probably about 210, 220 on road, plus options, plus there'll be a first edition. So, yes, it's uh, gone are the days of getting a C63 for 150 grand. Um, I think even the current one sort of died out around that 170 mark. So it's, uh, it's a bit of a price jump, but um, it's also a much more complicated car. Yeah, well, you touched on that, Boz, and, and the price jump is not for nothing. Um, the biggest story with this vehicle, of course, is it goes from being a V8 to being a four-cylinder with a f- very heavily electrified plug-in hybrid system. This car sounds extraordinarily complicated and F1-inspired and bound to be controversial. So can you just explain that drivetrain for us? Yes, you used the word sound. Um, it actually doesn't sound like anything. It has no sound. It's really quite... Uh when you turn it on, it turns on in pure electric mode. Um, and i got to tell you, when I first saw someone start up a C63 and cruise past me and it sounds like a Camry hybrid Uber, um, it was a little bit disconcerting. But you get used to it, I suppose. Uh, I think anyone that's looking for like a rumbling V8 is going to be bitterly disappointed until they drive it and realize that this thing is ballistically fast. So, yes, it's using a... Uh, the two liter out of the A45, so that is the um, highest power output four cylinder production engine in the world, and it's even got a little bit more power in this case. And um, and if you, and it's combined with a, um, a permanently excited—that's uh, how they technical term for it—electric uh, motor using so, around a six kilowatt hour battery on the rear. So uh, together, the power output is like 500 kilowatts, and the newton meters is like 1,020 newton meters. It's just bonkers amount of power and torque and um and it really feels that you get in the car and you know it, mercedes says it's zero to 103.4 seconds it feels a bit quicker we timed it around 3.35 um and to put that in perspective a, a huracan rear wheel drive is slower um so it's a it's a ballistically fast car and it doesn't really stop there the 100 to 200 we timed it at 7.1 um and that's just about the same speed as a ferrari 488 so we're talking <laughs> about a C63 that's now doing supercar levels of performance. Um, it is heavy. It weighs about uh, 2.136 kilos. Um, so it's 400 kilograms heavier than the old car. Uh, it is all-wheel drive, however. So you've got all-wheel drive, you've got a battery pack, and you've got the electric motor and all the things in between those two things to talk to each other. So it has it has put on some weight. I, I'm not going not gonna to sugarcoat that one. Um, but, yeah, we, we drove it on road. We drove it on track. Um, whatever weight it's put on, it's wearing it really well. It's like me. You know, it still looks good despite the extra weight. <laughs> How did it handle on-road two boards? Oh, it's it's incredible. It's, you know, one of the benefits of having um, an all-wheel drive system in a, in a car like that um, plus the EV motor, uh, it means that it can send torque wherever it needs to all the time. So it really manages to dig itself out of a lot of corners and, and, um, and tricky situations pretty easily. The, the other thing to point out also is that, it's not just the EV system that's heavily advanced. Even the turbocharger in the two-liter um, is an electric-powered turbocharger, and it's always spooled up. So it's kind of like anti-lag. Um, it's it's insane how rapidly you can get its torque out, uh, and then the EV sort of helps in. And after you lift off, the energy from the spinning turbo is actually put back into the battery exactly like an F1 car. So it's, like, really, really cool. I love the tech in it. And... You know, it's got so many gadgets in it. So if you go out on track, you can tell it if you're doing a qualifying lap or if you're doing, like, endurance racing so that it knows whether to deploy all its electric power in that one lap um, or to sort of maintain it for multiple laps, which, again, is exactly like an F1 car. So 
Um, for, for what it doesn't have, and the only thing it doesn't have, in my opinion, is the sound. Uh, it has a lot of other things going for it. And personally, and, and you'll you know you'll read this on my review on the site. I think the main problem with the C63 is that it's called the C63. If it was called anything else, people would look at it with a fresh lens and we would be very pleasantly surprised. But because they've decided, like Porsche with the Taycan Turbo and Turbo S, to stick with this name that no longer means anything, it didn't mean anything last generation either, given it was a four liter, um, it really doesn't make sense. And I think a lot of people are going to be expecting it to be a muscle car and its nature and character is anything. It's like a surgeon. Uh, versus an old boxer, which is what the old car was. I'm so glad you said that, Boris, because that was exactly the question I was going to ask you, is all the things that we know the C63 for are, you know, noise and, and theatre and drama, and this one puts on a lot of weight and, and lacks that soundtrack. Do you think that the uh, existing massive audience of C63 buyers, and let's not forget this is one of the most popular premium performance cars that you can buy, are those people going to embrace this vehicle, do you think, or is this going to be a much more niche proposition that's only favoured by a small few? Look, it's a, it's a really interesting question. I, um, I think if you go back to when Mercedes uh, sorry, when BMW ditched the V8 in the F80 M3 um, and went to that twin turbo six, everyone thought, oh, no one's going to buy this. Everyone's just going to buy a C63. And that certainly wasn't the case, right? People still bought it, even if it didn't have a V8, even if it didn't sound nearly as good as the old naturally aspirated V8 they had previously. Um, this is a bit different, I think. I mean, they've, they're skipping the six. They're not even going to a six. They're going straight from an eight to a four with a hybrid system. It, it is a generational jump. This car is a generation ahead of the M3 um, that you can get across the road. So I don't have an answer for you. I, I, I was definitely surprised by how well I liked the car. Um, but there is something to be said about the soul and spirit of a performance car that is all about how it makes you feel from a sound perspective and, and from an emotional perspective. And I think this car definitely doesn't have as much of that as the old one and certainly not as much of it as the previous one but to put the amg guys um explanation to me is that it's not like this is something they wanted to do it's something they have to do this is not a oh we think that the v8 we don't like v8s anymore we're going to put a four cylinder engine in here no that, that's not the case it's the the emission and noise regulations in europe are so tough now and going into the future that if they didn't do this they wouldn't be able to sell the car so it's all well and good for us to say, oh, I can't believe they've got rid of the V8. But realistically, the V8 is dead. It's dead across the board and it's not coming back. So, um, And as someone, one of the AMG engineers told me, he said, if this car isn't awfully popular, the next one will be all EV anyway. So that's where it's going. Yeah. Um, let's step inside into uh, the interior, boards. Is it a big improvement from the, pre- the predecessor? Um, look, I actually rated the interior probably my least favorite part of the car, not because there's anything wrong with it. It, it basically is a modern C-Class with the big screens and, and the massive head-up display that it's just so big. I've never seen a head-up display that large in my life. But um, the, the thing I don't like about it is that it's basically a C43 inside, and there will be a C43, which is basically that car without the hybrid system. Um, there's no uniqueness to the C63. Even the seats are the same as the C43. And I kind of think if you're spending 200 and something thousand dollars on a car, you, you kind of want a little bit of flair on the inside. And I'm not saying it's not great. It is a significant improvement over the old car. But um, when you start entering that sort of price bracket, in my opinion, you, you start looking for those little things that sort of put that final touches on the car. And I don't think it has those. There are there any uh, interesting facts you've learned about this new C63? Yeah, you know what the weird thing is? It's the first time in history that the AMG version of a C-Class has got a different wheelbase than the standard C-Class. So it's actually oh. a longer car. Yeah, right? It's weird. So the it's actually a 10 millimeters longer than the standard C-Class. Um, and that like you can imagine the engineering challenges that would have faced to have to redesign half the freaking panels to work. Um, so the front end of the car is actually different in terms of panel size and things, nothing will fit if you took it off and put it on another car. Um, and that's because they needed the space for all the stuff that's in the car. Um, and it really actually blew me away because to consider that for such a niche vehicle, you know, in respect to the C-Class, that they would re-engineer the entire platform and wheelbase to make it work goes to show you the efforts they've put in to make it happen. So, yeah, it's actually, a, if you put the C-Class and a C63 next to each other, you will see a noticeable difference in overhangs and size. Um, Elbors, what car expert rating did you give it? 
Look, I am. Um, it, it's a hard one to rate. Uh, I don't have the price. I don't have the specs. Um, I don't know the servicing costs. There's a lot of things I don't know. But uh, taking all those things into consideration, it, I, I was really hoping it would get into the nines, but I had to take into account the fact that, as you pointed out, the buyer for this historically has been someone that really loves the sound and really loves the emotional aspect. So the fit for purpose was a little bit hard for me to rate high. Um, so overall, we got an 8.8. But as a performance car, I, I think it's well and truly in the nines. If you take it outside of its C63 heritage, and that, again, comes back to what I said before, is I just wish someone at marketing would give up on this notion of having to maintain these badges for whatever reason. Because in some cases, and in this case in particular, I think they do more harm than good for these new cars coming out. Mm. All right. Well, you can have a read of the review now at carexpert.com.au and have your say on uh, Boz's comments as what he's mentioned in the comments below. Thank you, uh, Boz. Thanks, guys. Speak to you soon. That brings it into this week's podcast, actually the second last podcast for the year before we uh, wrap up for 2022. One more to go. Um, now, Moko, which cars have we got coming up in the garage next week? Well, I know that we've spoken today about a number of high-end performance cars, but never let it be said that we don't know where our true audience lies, and that is in everyday vehicles that thousands of people buy. Um, and our garage this week across the country really reflects that. So we've got um, an updated Isuzu D-Max, the new Toyota Corolla Cross, the new Honda Civic Hybrid, the updated Hyundai Palisade and Nissan Pathfinder in new generation form, um, and a Kia Sorento GT line as well, just a revisit of that one. Getting back behind the wheel of a Corolla Hybrid, which has just received some running changes to its infotainment, so one of Australia's most popular vehicles there being retested. And up in Brizzy World, you've got yourself a Ford Ranger XLT V6. So this week, not a lot of um, Instagrammable high-end supercar metal, but lots of very, very popular um, mainstream fare uh, and good to see that everybody's going to get behind the wheel of those. Very nice. And uh, where's the team off to next week, Will? Oh, look, <laughs> finally slowing down for the year. We've had an absolute glut of events. <laughs> it's like every company's just trying to get some stuff in just before the end of the year. But still two events to go to this week. So James will be driving the new Nissan Qashqai, which is finally getting here. I know Nissan's been wanting to to get that in showrooms uh, a little while ago, but you know, it'll, it's coming soon. Um, and Scott is driving the new Cupra Born, uh, which is very interesting Ooh. because it will be the first vehicle from the Volkswagen Group in Australia on the MEB electric vehicle platform. Uh, so very keen to hear his thoughts about that. Thank you, Mike Costello and William Stopford. Always Thanks, awesome to be on, Mandy.